Volume Four, Chapter Seven of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume Four, Chapter Seven. In the meantime, Celestina was alone at Cheltenham, indulging that regret which arose from the certain loss of Willoughby's friendship, and the assurance that she should see him no more. Every day she expected to see in the newspapers, or to hear from Lady Horatia, that he was married, and although she tried to reason herself into a calm acquiescence, with what was unavoidable she never opened a paper or a letter without trembling but her own unhappiness prevented her not from feeling for the unhappiness of her friends the letter she had received from emily cathcart had made a great impression upon her though she knew not how it would be proper to act to answer the views of the writer at length she determined to write to Mrs. Elphinstone, and enclose the letter itself, and this she did a few days after she was settled at Chettingham. Almost every post brought her accounts of the amendment of Montague Thurgood from Lady Horatia, who visited him constantly, and in almost every letter she expressed, either plainly or by implication, her expectations that Celestina would attend to the wishes of all her friends, and give him her hand immediately on his recovery. This repeated importunity from a person to whose wishes and for whose opinion she felt so much deference to be due was infinitely painful to her, but how to escape from it she knew not if she quitted lady horatia she had no proper protection no home to receive her and though her little income had hitherto more than sufficed to support her while with such a friend and though she had received about a hundred pounds from cathcart paid her by the direction of willoughby while he was abroad which yet remained almost untouched yet on such a sum and on the interest of fifteen hundred pounds she could not with any degree of prudence adopt the plan on which her imagination had lately dwelt with peculiar pleasure that of setting out alone or with only a female servant and travelling through france she fancied that there she might be enabled though she had yet no clue to guide her to find some traces of her family an invincible inclination which she sometimes took for the inspiration of heaven had been some weeks gaining on her imagination and everything seemed to encourage it but reason and prudence both of which were perhaps decidedly in favour of her accepting the proper establishment offered her by a man who had not only given so many proofs of his sincere and tender affection for her 
but who was the son of one of her best friends and avowedly recommended to her by another a man to whom she preferred to every other person except willoughby and whom she would have chosen had willoughby never been in question for her it was very certain that he was in question no longer he was in fact dead to her and no probability remained of his ever feeling for her even the regret that the loss of an agreeable acquaintance might have given him but still her heart and her imagination had been so long accustomed to consider him as their first object that she found it impossible for her to transfer to another the same attachment and without being sensible of love she could not promise it she desired nothing but to be permitted to live single and be mistress of her time and herself and not to be inopportune to undertake duties which her heart told her she could not consciously fulfil but she foresaw too evidently that while she remained in her present situation and lady horotia continued so eager for the match her life must pass in a continual conflict between her wish to gratify her friend and her disclination to marriage at her time of life professions of a resolution to remain single were merely laughed at and never believed and montagu thurgood had never hitherto considered her gentle refusals and friendly admonitions to desist but as being in reality as much encouragement as she could give him while her situation in regard to willoughby remained sacredly undecided and while he might renounce the name of lover he might still assume that of a near relation and have the power of controlling or at least of directing her now that it was decided beyond a doubt that he neither meant to avail himself of either the one or the other she saw that she had nothing to urge in support of her refusal which would be listened to and while her mind dwelt on the friendly but still irksome controversy in which she must of necessity be engaged when lady horotia and thoroughgood came down it of course adverted to the means of relief which could she thought be obtained only by her quitting england and for her doing so her natural desire to discover her parents was she thought a sufficient excuse in her present solitude she found so much to soothe and console her that she longed for nothing so much as the power of enjoying it and at the same time wandering through various countries and particularly through that which she had been taught to consider as her own the longer she thought of this plan the more agreeable it became in her imagination and she passed many hours every day in reading travels through france italy and switzerland still humouring this visionary idea till it had acquired the force of a presentment a persuasion that she should go to the south of france she should find her family 
of this she continually thought of this she continually dreamed and thought one great motive that would have urged her to attempt it the possibility of being restored to willoughby was at an end she still determined to execute this plan before the summer elapsed she had indeed nothing but her gratitude and attachment to lady horotia to detain her in england she could not go to jessie because it was so near elvenstone nor enjoy the friendly and instructive conversation of mr thoroughgood because of the unfortunate partiality of his son the sole remaining friend of her childhood lady molyneux was not merely estranged from her but had invariably treated her with negligence scorn and contempt to england therefore she had at least no friends who attached her the whole world was her country and with that restlessness to which the unhappy are subject she fancied that in any part of it she should find more satisfaction than in her present situation by her wandering continually alone in the pleasant country that surrounded the town where she resided at a season too when the face of nature was every day growing more lovely her talent for poetry which sometimes remained for whole months unexercised was again called forth but whatever were the objects really before her whatever were presented to her mind by books willoughby was ever the principal figure in the landscape if she sat on the green hill as she often did for hours together lost in mournful yet unpleasing reverie it was only to recollect scenes that were past with the same sounds she had then heard the simple sheep-bell the early songs of birds the same sense of fresh turf and wild flowers brought again more forcibly to her recollection if in her reading she was by the traveller's lively description of the countries he had passed through to fancy herself there she reverted instantly to the delight she should have felt could she in a progress through such romantic scenes have been the companion of willoughby and it was in this disposition of mind that after perusing an account of a cottage and its inhabitants overwhelmed by the fall of an avalanche a great body of snow from the mountain above she composed the following little lyric poem the peasant of the alps where cliffs arise by winter crowned and through dark groves of pine around down the chasms the snow-fed torrents foam within some hollow sheltered from the storms the peasant of the alps his cottage forms and builds his humble happy home unenvied is the rich domain that far beneath him on the plain waves his white harvests and his olive groves more dear to him his hut with plantain thatched where long his unambitious heart attached finds all he wishes all he loves there dwells the mistress of his heart and love who teaches every art has bid him dress the spot with fondest care 
when borrowing from the vale its fertile soil he climbs the precipice with patient toil to plant her favorite flowerets there with native shrubs a hardy race there the green myrtle finds a place and roses there the dewy leaves decline while from the crags abrupt and tangled steeps with bloom and fruit the alpine berry peeps and blushing mingles with the vine his garden simple produce stored prepared for him by hands adored is all the little luxury he knows and by the same dear hands are softly spread the chamois velvet spoil that forms the bed where in her arms he finds repose but absent from the calm abode dark thunder gathers round his road while raves the wind the arrowy lightnings flash returning quick the murmuring rocks among his faint heart trembling as he winds along alarmed he listens to the crash of rift ice o man of woe o'er his dear cot a mass of snow by the storm severed from the cliff above has fallen and buried in his marble breast all that for him lost wretch the world possessed his home his happiness his love aghast the heart-struck mourner stands glazed are his eyes convulsed his hands o'erwhelming anguish checks his laboring breath crushed by despair's intolerable weight frantic he seeks the mountain's giddiest height and headlong seeks relief in death a fate too similar is mine but i in lingering pain repine and still my lost felicity deplore cold cold to me is that dear breast become where this poor heart had fondly fixed its home and love and happiness are mine no more when celestina was thus with more tenderness than discretion cherishing the memory of the friend she had lost willoughby was very differently occupied from what her imagination suggested instead of being the gay and fortunate lover on the eve of marrying one of the greatest heiresses in england he was suffering in his personal health from the anxiety of mind at war with itself and certain of nothing but that for him the world no longer contained any happiness the intelligence however vague and like the common gossiping stories so usual among servants that he had received from farham had made a great impression which what he afterwards gathered from the same quarter had increased justina had told farnham as a secret however of the first importance that captain kavanagh had been of late in the habit of being admitted to her young lady's dressing-room after lady castlenorth and the family were retired however late the hour might be that her young lady was obliged to entrust her with these visits that they might be more securely concealed from the rest of the family but that sometimes she had been dismissed to bed and sometimes ordered to wait till he retired 
that on some of these occasions she observed her young lady had been crying by the redness of her eyes and that then the captain had always left her with the air of a man much offended that she had sometimes heard them talk in voices as if they were arguing upon something but could never distinctly understand what their conversation was about they were in sad fright always said justina that mealdi heard them mealdi knows not all what goes on in this house and my lady i suppose says farnham would be in a horrible passion if she heard of it oh for me replied she i could not stay if she did find out but why inquired farnham why if your young lady likes the captain so as to have him keep company with her in this manner why does she mean by marrying my master justina then with an arch look answered oh my good friend the captain has one wife already and why should not my young lady have one husband the captain will be her sasebo cavalier servant i don't understand your french out of the way names replied farnham but i am sure that if your lady marries my master only to play such pranks as some other fine ladies do she will get into a bad scrape for he is not a man to be quiet when such fort of doings are going on that i can tell her and if she doesn't love him better than any other man i think she had much better say so oh silly man answered justina as if my young lady could not have a regard for both of them ay ay replied farnham that may do well enough in your country but it will never do here justina now afraid that farnham's deal for his master would perhaps urge him to reveal the dangerous secret with which she had thus entrusted him began to soften the harshest features of it by saying that she believed there was no harm at all in the friendship between her young lady and captain cavanagh that to be sure the captain was a sweet handsome man and very agreeable and therefore her young lady liked to talk with him which she never could do when her mother was by as she never suffered him to speak hardly to anybody else and that it was natural enough for her lady to like the captain and have a regard for him because she had known him so long she ended her conversation with exacting from farnham a promise that he would never mention a syllable to anybody of what she had told him a promise which he kept however only till he could reveal it all to his master willoughby had after receiving this information no longer a doubt as to breaking off instantly his proposed alliance but how without plunging a dagger in the heart of his uncle to do this required some consideration lord castlenorth had sent him full directions as to paying off the encumbrances upon his estate and deposited the money at a banker's 
where he had also left a large sum for his own use and expecting him to join the family at paris if he did not overtake them sooner and was now pleasing himself with the idea that in a very few days the favorite project of his life would be completed and that in adopting the son of his sister and uniting him with his daughter he should transmit his name and his honors to posterity with little variation from lineal descent it was this hope that seemed to have sustained his feeble existence to his present period in spite of the numerous infirmities he labored under and even of the prescriptions and nursing of mrs calder and though it was impossible for willoughby either to love or esteem such a man as lord castlenorth yet he felt for him some regard as his mother's brother and some pity not only for his real but his imaginary sufferings which he knew must be dreadfully increased and perhaps become fatal from so heavy a disappointment of all his expectations he hesitated then how to act whether to write or go to him or whether he should not rather address himself to lady castlenorth or her daughter and for two days after their departure had been unable to resolve on anything when a porter who immediately disappeared gave to the servant of the house a letter for him it was evidently written in a foreign hand and in a foreign idiom though pains seemed to have been taken to disguise both the contents were these sir one who is and will be always a stranger to you takes a liberty to approach you with this advice so important to you and fearing it may be soon too late you are sir on the point of being married as the report goes to the daughter of lord castlenorth miss fitzhaman your relation i have cause to know that her heart is belonging to another person and only chagrin and inquietude will be the effect if you execute this marriage whatever may have seem to the contrary if there is any doubt of the truth of this a little observation or making inquiry among those near her will explain what i would say and if there is question of the person she has a great friendship for you have only to think of those who are always with her a word they say to the wise is enough for them to understand i have the honor to be with profound respect sir your devoted servant unknown willoughby had no sooner read this letter than it struck him that it was written either by kavanagh himself or by some person employed by him and his motive evidently was to prevent a marriage he now saw so nearly concluded and which would destroy all his hopes of securing to himself this opulent heiress rather than her mother whose lavish fondness for him had enabled him by some means or another it was probable they were not very justifiable means to release himself from his former engagements 
engagements which with far other views she had assisted him to dissolve many concurring circumstances strengthened the persuasion that this letter was fabricated if not written by kavanagh it seemed to be the translation of a letter first written in french and willoughby heard that kavanagh could not write english with facility from a long disuse it was certainly kavanagh's interest by any means to stop the marriage between him and miss fitzhaman which perhaps no means could have done more effectually since from the tears she had frequently been observed by justina to shed in their long conferences it was probable his arguments had failed of their effect if willoughby had before felt something like apathy towards miss fitzhaman which he never could wholly conquer he now found it amounting to abhorrence and detestation the love she had shewn towards him must either have been the effect of art or of vice and both were to him equally odious that she could hope to impose upon him by the one or think him a proper object for the indulgence of the other were ideas equally hateful and equally humiliating and under the first impulse of indignation he was tempted to write her and enclosing the letter from his anonymous correspondent add to it all the circumstances farmham had learned of justina as reasons why he renounced her with contempt but after a little reflection he manly and generous spirit inspired him with far other designs it was possible that his cousin whom he now considered with as much dislike but with more compassion might yet be saved from the artifices of a villain and he thought himself bound to attempt it by every exertion except the sacrifice of himself in marriage it was possible that his uncle though he could not make that sacrifice to gratify him might yet be in some degree preserved from the dreadful shock which his daughter's conduct must give him were it described to him in the horrid light he himself now saw it in or revealed to him by any one less cautious than himself distressing therefore as the scenes must be that he should have to go through when instead of joining the family to complete his marriage he should meet them with those charges which put an end to it for ever he determined to follow them immediately and writing to cathcart such instructions as were most requisite as to the management of his affairs and without hinting how different the purpose of his journey was from what it was supposed to be he departed as soon as his physician dismissed him for the continent which was in something more than a week after the castlenorths had left london everybody concluded that he had gone to his bride and everybody's conjectures remained uncontradicted lady horatia in her letters to celestina told her that lord castlenorth's illness had ob obliged him to quit england on a very short notice willoughby and miss fitzhaman 
had been privately warned the day before they set out that some business as to his estates detained him afterwards five or six days in london but that he was now gone to the castlenorth family at paris and was to proceed with them to pass the summer in italy the same account found its way into the public prints and was received without any doubt celestina shed many tears over the first information she received and then accusing herself of folly tried to dry them and to detach her mind from thinking of willoughby but this no effort enabled her to do and although all anxiety was now lost in the most painful certainty she sunk from fruitless solicitude into hopeless dejection in such a frame of mind lady horotia found her when after a separation of about three weeks she rejoined her at chatham with her arrived montague thorogood quite recovered of his wound deriving from it and from thus being allowed to attend celestina more hope than ever while his love seemed to have increased if to increase were possible and while his sufferings and his merit certainly rendered him interesting to celestina and combined to entitle him to her friendship her pity and esteem she felt and felt with regret that decided as she believed her fate now to be in regard to willoughby friendship esteem and pity were yet all she could give to montague thoroughgood end of volume four chapter seven recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c